Hi everyone, my name is Patrick Akio, and for today's episode, we go over why people do the things they do. We touch on the psychology behind it and go over effective communication as well as storytelling. Joining me today is the founder of Mind Speaking, as well as the author of the book People Skills for Analytical Thinkers, Gilbert Eichelboom. I'll put the links to his socials in the description below. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. testament to the amount of quality and work you put in right because mm-hmm. obviously if it's not great people are just not going to follow it people are not going to like it as much exactly uh, but if it is great people will follow you eventually it's just about staying consistent uh, absolutely and putting up stuff that is actually interesting to a lot of people mm-hmm. yeah. exactly and to do that you need to know really well who your audience is right yeah. or who um who you are talking to tr- trying to talk to who you're trying to reach and what are their challenges and how you can help them yeah. solve those challenges and i think the value of social media is not so much about selling stuff of course there are a lot of benefits on the commercial side yeah. what i believe is that there's way more value on getting feedback and building something yeah. getting direct feedback from a large scale of people which is otherwise very difficult to to reach yeah. especially in the non-digital age you need to you know find people in your neighborhood that are interested in your topic yeah and then get feedback from them and annoy them with surveys while they're not <laughs> waiting for that. But now you can reach people that are interested in that anyways and are happy to contribute. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. I thought it was more kind of stature, I guess, or, or yeah, I think maybe stature, that'd be the word. That's why I never was on social media, right? I never wanted to put uh, a picture of me on vacation and other people would like that. And it just didn't interest me. I also didn't really look at other people's stuff because I was like, I know these people. I don't have to see the best version of them 100% of the time. I still want real people. So I was never on that that much. It was always strange that I said, I don't have a Facebook, I don't have an Instagram. One of the only reasons I have Instagram now is because I actually have a YouTube channel that does Instagram stuff. So then it makes sense right. to have an Instagram. Um, but I completely agree with you when you say it's a way to engage with the community that otherwise wouldn't exist, right? If we didn't have social media, that niche of people because it is sometimes still a niche. Uh, doesn't matter whatever, it's a, if it's a movie, it's a bigger niche. Um, but that niche all of a sudden comes together and there's collaborations, conversations, discussions, opinions, and you can make use of that. You can throw something in the fold and either positive or negative, it is feedback, which you would otherwise not have. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and that's, that's what makes this so much fun as well. And yeah. Having You also had a lot of international guests on the podcast, which otherwise might not be able to fly to the Netherlands and have yeah. this conversation, right? And we're living in the same city, actually, not just the same um, country. But yeah, it's, it's great that the ability to connect with other people all over the world, for me, is a big, big plus of, of the current age we live in. Yeah, yeah. It makes the world feel a lot smaller, mm-hmm. which is so weird because the world is huge. And then all of a sudden, if I'm speaking from personal experience, I have someone in Hawaii, which the time difference is 12 hours to Holland. I'm like, oh, what time is it there? He's like 10, uh, 10 in the morning. I'm like, it's 10 in the in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still having this conversation. Exactly. Which is quite cool. Uh, so I, I looked you up online and I didn't expect this, but you were actually a professional poker player before any of this. Yeah, that's right. So what I... So this all started when I was a student. Yeah. When I was 18 years old, I was studying in Maastricht, in the very south of the Netherlands. Yeah. And I was visiting a friend and he was playing poker online. And to me, it was this game of 
cigars and whiskey and <laughs> casinos and yeah but i've always been interested in in games uh, board games and other type of games so i was very curious to learn more about it and this friend taught me the the rules just the basics of poker yeah because i had no idea and then i started playing online just for play money just for chips that are not worth anything not even a dollar yeah just to try out the game and i i lost and i lost and i lost and at some point i got a little bit better and what you could do is at some point you could if you have a lot of those free chips you mm. could sell them if you have a million of them some people buy them for ten dollars i still don't know why <laughs> um but i sold them for 10 bucks and i did it a few times and then i started playing on the the lowest tables of one two cents right with yeah. my small amounts of money um in the beginning i still lost because now it was a bit more serious not yeah. just for free money uh and eventually i started to learn a lot i started to post on forums to understand how it could improve because i'm pretty focused and determined always on improving myself and yeah. in, in games how to be become better at it and slowly that grew and yeah at some point after one and a half years of mostly having fun i i decided to have a conversation with my parents about it because <laughs> was everything online up until that point almost everything i yeah. had some experience playing in casinos but then you're only able to play one hand at the same time yeah um and also people don't really talk on the on the poker table it's a kind of a table like this and it's pretty big and people are very focused on themselves i for me it was not very much fun yeah uh, because one there was no conversation no connection between people yeah and two there was barely any uh poker playing because you could only play once every uh, 10 hands or something yeah and online you would how would you do that would you have multiple tabs open with different games yeah i would play really? six to eight tables at the same time oh damn. and yeah what made it interesting for me is that i bought all the data every month yeah. of a certain website that mined all the data of the all the poker games on that website yeah and i could up upload that or use that in my database and that helped me every time i joined the table i could see all the different players yeah and their playing styles if they're aggressive and if i clicked on one of the players i i saw like a hundred statistics that told me you know what to do oh, how to really? how to determine my next best action yeah and that made it interesting for me because uh, poker is a game about a game of mathematics and yeah statistics and that's what i loved about it because if i understand you correctly that's kind of my the contradiction i had initially because if you're saying everything is online i would be like there's not a lot of information to get from that right i played poker in real life as a kid and a guy had to tell his niche started shaking when he had a good <laughs> hand then obviously i know he had a good hand so i would fold um but online you don't have that no one's virtual knee is going to shake that's true. But what you said is you had historical data that you imported into a database and then mm -hmm. you would see kind of statistics on the players you were facing. Indeed. And 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 next to that you could pick up some some light psychological cues like yeah. if people bet instantly for example it might might be because someone is tilting, you know, someone is very emotional yeah. and it's just getting frustrated here are all the chips in the middle. Yeah. I don't care anymore. But mostly it's all about, you know, this uh, quantitative um, analysis from from the data that you have available. Interesting, and that that's what I loved about it. Yeah, so that that also helped me to to grow slowly. 
And yeah, at some point I had this conversation with my parents. I was not really looking forward to it because <laughs> because my plan, my, my plan was to uh, share with them what I have I had been doing and also that I wanted to quit my studies yep. um, for some time because I, I was making winnings and it was not, you know, just a hundred bucks per month. So yep. I, I, for me it was uh, like, okay, I want to take this opportunity. So yep. I wanted to discuss with them. I was not looking forward to the conversation, but actually they were quite supportive. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm very happy. Um, so I'm maybe also because I could show okay this is this is not just one month but consistent winnings and of course it goes like this but yeah. some var- variation variants but uh, yeah but I I really enjoyed that and at some point I I did not enjoy it as much anymore yeah because it was kind of a crossing point, a okay, decision point for me. What will I do? Will I move on with poker? Some of my friends, they moved to Malta f- to play there for a year full-time. Interesting. Yeah, and it was quite um, tempting because they had a nice apartment and the beach and everything. Yeah. But yeah, for me, the poker world was ki- quite narrow as well. It is a lot about poker and you don't add any value. The only value you gain is money from other people. Yeah, you take uh, value. Exactly, you take value and a part of it goes to... A, the house, a very commercial organization. Yeah. So to the to the company that is hosting the the poker game. So to me it was a bit empty or something. People were talking a lot about poker. Mm. Uh, and for me I wanted to grow more as a person and there's so much more to explore. And we talked yeah. about Barcelona and we've both been there. And yeah for me travel is the opportunity to explore and to find out new things and also the the poker world is so so small. There's there's so much t- more to to explore in the world, and that's why I decided to to quit. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if I if I would boil it down, poker to me is exactly as you say. You take the value, right? Even if you have a standard job, people would say salary is not the number one priority, right? It's growth, personal learnings, opportunity, experience, environment, the people you work with, stuff like that. Already contributes, and it has nothing to do with salary. Sure, salary is an important factor, right? It's a livelihood and you use it day to day. Um, but in poker, it would be, I would say, the money plus the psychology because I do think that is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Why people do the things they do. I didn't even think about when you said uh, when people throw in or make a bet. I, I, I don't know poker, so if I'm, uh, <laughs> if I'm messing up the terms, that's because of it. But if people are making a bet and they're doing it quickly, um, that might be because they're tilting. That mm-hmm. might be because they're emotional. That might be because they're upset. Stuff like that goes into that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's kind of a combination between the data and and also a bit of psychology. Yeah. I think the more you play online, or online compared to the live world, is more it's more about data even because you have more statistics, you have more, and you have less information about the psychological part, right? If someone yeah. takes a sip on the poker table, that might tell you something, but you don't see that online. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Did you then, because you left poker behind at some point, did you still continue with the psychology part? Like, is that still kind of a thread in what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. I like the question. <laughs> um, yes, because I've always been interested in psychology. My background is in, I, so I studied uh, behavioral science mm. and so behavioral economics. And I really like that because it's about how people make decisions, right? It's yeah. Very much related to poker, exactly, and also to the to the business world, how people make decisions because data is uh, supposed to to help other people make better decisions, right? So the better you know how people make decisions currently, 
the better you know how your data can su can support to to make faster or more confident decisions. Yeah. And I've I've read a bunch of books about psychology. I cannot get enough about it. <laughs> Sometimes I I tell myself, hey, I want to read more novels, right? Because I generally enjoy them as well. Yeah. But then at the end of the year, when I look back, what type of books I've read, then it's it's mostly about psychology and yeah. a bit of personal development as well. So th that combination. Nice. You touched upon why people make the decisions they do. I I struggle with this because I think a lot of who you are as a person is how you were brought up, right? It's the kind of nature versus nurture discussion. I still don't know where I lean on that, but I do notice a lot of things that happened in my past were either of influence and that I subconsciously do now, right? And even that realization isn't always there because I probably do a lot of things that I got learned in the past or that I saw in the past. And I don't know how much of it is in control or out of my control, basically. Well, what's your thought on that? Do people consciously make decisions or is a lot of it influenced by kind of your upbringing and your, your nature in that way or nurture? It will be nurture. Yeah, so almost everything is, is unconscious. Mm. Almost all our behavior. Um, there has been some research by uh, Professor Zaldman from Harvard University. Yeah. So he mainly researched the purchasing decisions, so decisions about um, buying something. And he found that 98% of the purchasing decisions were actually mostly influenced by the unconscious mind, Yeah. Uh, which shows that you know even though we sometimes think that we make decisions on a rational basis, and we want to provide more evidence, more facts, more data, more about the technology, the details, actually most people make decisions more on more based on, on other things, mm. uh, on intuition and, and emotions play a big role as well. Yeah. And yeah, so I think you can still become more aware of all your behavioral patterns and how you make decisions, but it requires practice and even even if it you've built patterns in the in 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 your youth or yeah. very long ago, you can become more aware of it, but it probably requires a lot of you know, either journaling or meditation, asking for feedback and looking looking at yourself from an outside perspective, which is very difficult because yeah. we're in our own world, we consider what we're good at very normal um, and we appreciate, you know, things that are that other people are very strong at. We appreciate that and we see that as, wow, I would love to have that as well. Yeah. Even though those people might think the same about themselves, thinking, you know, this is normal. For me, it's very easy to make decisions or to be confident or to give a presentation while someone else says, wow, that's, I find it so difficult to give presentations or I get nervous. Um, but maybe that same person is very, very self-reflective, has a lot of patience, has a great ability to ask questions. Yeah. And I think by becoming more aware of your own behavioral patterns or algorithms, as I, as I call them, nice. so all the, yeah, all the behavioral patterns that you've built, either in the very past or in the last weeks, yeah, uh, you can become more aware of them and also change them. But as I said, it's it's very tricky. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, when you lay it out like that, I, I just don't think we talk a lot about that stuff, right? In a day-to-day, -day, exactly as you say, you're in your bubble. Um, and you have to step out of it to kind of see, okay, this is my day-to-day. -day. This is my bubble. And for me, usually that's a conversation where I'm like, okay, can you, have, can you give me feedback or an actual reflection moment that I've planned and scheduled and that I don't move forward because sometimes I also skip those. <laughs> um, but that helps a lot. The most 
I think the most knowledge I've gained is when I have a conversation with someone one on one, and it can be on anything. It can be on them sharing their experience or me sharing mine. Because if I'm sharing my experience, all of a sudden I'm I'm saying things of how things happened, and I've never said those things out loud. Right? You internally process a lot of things, and saying them out loud. I mean, your thinking process kicks in, and you're like, "Oh, this is interesting, actually." Right. Yeah. What What is something you have found, maybe recently or more uh, further in the past, about yourself and insight that you gained through these conversations you've had with other people? Yeah. So I I went to a training, and it was called Insight and Influence. So very much, you do a lot of role playing. I know the training. You know it's the side of my probably. Yeah, yes. exactly. I yeah. I love the training first and foremost. Really but you good. learn about. Um, giving arguments towards a certain topic. You actually have to take a standpoint and be like, okay, this is my point of view. Now I have to argue against whatever else is there. Um, you have to show appreciation in a positive way and in a negative way. Apparently I struggle very much with giving positive appreciation. I didn't know that about myself. I'm very direct and I can give critique in a way that people understand and they can do something with. But then I have trouble giving it in a positive way because if I would do that, People would have the both sides, right? They would see, okay, this is what I'm doing great, and this is what I can improve. And I usually give them the things I can improve because that's apparently what I focus on. Mm -hmm. And when I drill down in my past, I think that's also what I got a lot from my parents. I have a pretty stringent upbringing. Um, the first of my family to graduate or, or go to university, stuff like that. Uh, and it was always kind of critique that I would get and that I would also give. So then I'm like, okay, is this my intuition, like is this who I am as a person or is this kind of kind of result of the environment I grew up with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting question and I think I think it's always possible, you know, to to change things, but yeah. the, the the further back they go, the patterns the the more difficult it, it gets. Yeah. But listening to your story, I think uh, I can learn a lot from you because for me, it's very natural to, to to show appreciation, to be very concrete about what I see and the impact it makes on me. You know, yeah. to to tell what I love about the work of others. Or I, I share that a lot. It's very natural, but for me, giving critique directly and straight yeah. is more difficult. Yeah, uh, I sometimes beat around the bush a little bit. I became more aware uh, of this in in the in the last years. Um, so maybe we should team up and, <laughs> and learn from each other in that area because we sound very complimentary and yeah. I think we could both benefit from that conversation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that realization that I, because I am straight as an arrow, like I'll give it to you uh, unsalted. I don't think if that that's an English expression. <laughs> Might be a bad translated Dutch one. Um, but I'll give it to you straight, right? And it's, I don't know where it comes from, but that realization that not everyone is like that, that had to be a realization. I had yeah. to be around people that did beat around the bush. And because they beat around the bush, I was like, why, why aren't you saying what you're thinking? Like, why why don't you say it as it is? Um, exactly. And yeah. I think it's so, so valuable to know, not just in your personal life, but also in business, because if you're about to walk into a meeting with a person and you're trying, you're trying to uh, set up a collaboration, you work on a project together and you present a problem right so yeah. some of the people so if you have a very direct person who likes to focus on action right let's go 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 uh, that person then it's probably better to walk in that meeting saying hey i have a problem yeah um th these are some ideas that i have to move forward what do you think instead of you know if that's your more your nature walking in that meeting and saying hey i found a problem what do you think then yeah. the other person might think hey 
this 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 guy doesn't know anything, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah. yeah, he has no idea. While that person, well, while you might just want to, you know, open the conversation and and have a have an open uh, discussion, because that's that's that that would be my approach if I would not think at all, right? Hey, yeah. we have this problem. Um, what do you think? To have kind of a cl collaboration and discussion around it, but it's something I had to learn, especially when talking with more. Uh, direct and action-oriented people yeah. to also include some like recommended next steps and this is what we can do. These are your options or these are our options. Yeah, and exactly. um, that that helped me a lot to understand, you know, different personalities and who I have I, who do I have in front of me instead of just sitting in my own head, you know, worrying about a lot of things. Yeah, do you know when when you realize that? Because I I completely understand what you're saying and I also have that realization, right? Who's my audience? Who am I talking to? Is it in a boardroom uh, in people that have barely any time for me? Then we got to speed up, okay? Is it exploratory? All right, are we brainstorming? Then it's a different vibe, different different conversation. Mm -hmm. I didn't used to have that. I thought, oh, there's a meeting, that's a meeting. I didn't care about the people that were there. I'm like, okay, I'll probably attend. Now I'm like, okay, should I attend? Can I add any value here? What's the goal? But those realizations, I don't know when they exactly came but they are there right now. Do you know for you when it kind of clicked in that way? There was one moment that that I still remember well, and that was when I was doing a presentation. It was in the beginning of my career. It was 2014. I was doing a presentation for um, the management team, and they asked me to present some data insights. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to dive into the data, make an analysis, and then present the insights. So I was excited, and I was pretty... You know, confident about uh, the, the recommendations and yeah. I did all the work. But then in that meeting, everything went wrong. And there was one thing I forgot about and it was one obstacle I overlooked. Yeah. And one person I neglected. And that person was uh, was Giovanni. Okay. And uh, he, was, he was an Italian man, part of the management team. And in that meeting, he bounced off all my ideas. Really? So it, it really didn't work. Yeah. But uh, I didn't think about him, right? Or what who's my audience and what do they find important? And I was mostly considering, okay, what is the analysis that I've made? What are the recommendations? What um, yeah, what are maybe a bit too detailed to focus on the technology, to focus on the data, yeah. instead of what am I trying to improve here? That is improving revenue and, and customer loyalty. So instead of talking about that, I was focusing too much on the data, you know? Yeah, the solution. And that's why, yeah, exactly. And that's why this Giovanni, he didn't really, yeah, no, was not really receptive for my ideas, but it's a lesson that I, I had to learn. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you say I took a lesson from that because I know a lot of people that will be like, oh, Giovanni doesn't like me. Yeah. That's that's why. That's that's how I felt in the meeting, honestly. Yeah. Like, oh, Giovanni, um, why why is he not listening? Exactly. He, he's, he's, he's messing up the meeting. and yeah. But in fact, I was messing up the meeting myself. That's what I realized later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were in control, right? A lot of people are like, oh, it's their fault or uh, they don't like me and it, it, everything pointing and being like, oh, it's every, everything except me. But I love that you say, well, actually I should have done X, Y, and Z. I should have done it differently or I should have communicated it differently. But so I come from a technical background, not even that technical because I don't have a computer science degree, but nowhere in there is that communication aspect so prevalent. You only hear about it kind of in a day-to-day -day kind of business setting that everything that translates, doesn't matter what you're doing, if it's technical or non-technical, the way we communicate, right? We mentioned it a bunch of times. Who is our audience? What do we say? How do we introduce a problem? Or even what is their personality? 
are they straight as an arrow? Do they kind of beat around the bush? Are they are they afraid of confrontation? Then don't be confrontational, right? Meet them in their playing field, and then you'll probably more be more effective in whatever you're communicating, whatever you're trying to do here. Absolutely. Nowhere is there kind of a focus on okay, how do we co- cooperate either within a team or a business setting? Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. There's a quote from Simon Sinek: If you so 100% of the customers are people, and 100% of the employees are people, and yeah. 100% of every, every, everything is people. So um, yeah, if you don't know about people, you don't know about business. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And I think there's so much to learn. And if we take a more conscious view and taking a step back from the from all the the work we've done, and even even though people as a, as a as working in technology or in data, you might be very proud of your work. You've worked very hard. You might want to include everything yeah. in there, you know, to show all the work you've done. But probably the executive is not uh, doesn't care about that, you know. Yeah. You should have built the trust that you are the right person for the job before the meeting, yeah. and then in the meeting focus on you know what's what's the next step, what's the recommendation, and how will it contribute to to that person. And I think it's so important to yeah, step back and understand okay what person do I have in front of me what is his or her personality the goals and the challenges and if you have that clear everything will be easier yeah yeah I completely agree when you said kind of the executive is not doesn't really care for how you did it it brings me back into when I was kind of a junior engineer where I really started out that was my first job I was very much focused on okay how, how do I make it work how even do I do this thing that I need to do and then once you're comfortable with that, you move on to the what, right? Do we actually need to do this? What are, what are the other options? Uh, can't we do X, Y, and Z instead? And then you focus on the why when you're a bit more mature. Why are we doing this in the first place? Shouldn't we do, be doing something else? Um, if this is actually our goal, then we should be doing these things. Um, and I think the bigger your sphere of influence is, the more you're thinking about that why, right? It's, it's very much vision and very much vague. And then what needs to happen and how it needs to happen uh, is kind of on a smaller scale, a smaller sphere of influence in that as well. Absolutely. And some people tell me that they are not interested in becoming a manager or director level, right? Which is totally fine. You know, you yeah. can stay as an in- individual contributor and become more an expert role. And that's, that's totally fine. But still, still in that position, you know, if you don't, don't work on your communication skills, on your collaboration and understanding you know, how you can best communicate your message, then your impact is probably quite limited and all the hard work that you've put in yeah. is going to be uh, not visible or, or little little impactful. And that's that's the biggest complaint or, or negative thing that people talk about. You know, people are not using my work and they're just putting it in a drawer somewhere yeah. in a, or in a, it stays in, in the inbox on the bottom of the, of the page. Yeah. Uh, and to me, it's... Of course, I, I I can relate to it because I've I felt it myself as well. Yeah. Um, but to me, there's a way out. You know, there's a way to to improve, and for sure, the way to improve is not to to blame other people and yeah. tell them that they're mistaking. But look at yourself. Hey, what can I do to improve the situation? And yeah, for me, that's a big lesson that I learned from the Seven Habits. I think it was one of the books that is behind you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the first books that I read in that genre. And when I picked it up. It was before I started my first job at Cognizant. I went to Cuba for three weeks and I took that book. I think my mom gave it, gave it to me. Nice. And I thought it was a book more about business because it talks about, or the title says, effective people, right? Yeah. Um, but in fact, it helped me so much to think about 
what my life should look like. You know, the, the bigger questions, you know, what, when I, am I happy when I, when I pass away? What, what type of life do I want to have? Yeah. And how, what can I do today to get a little bit closer? Um, and yeah, to me, it's, it's a fantastic book. And I think people don't do that enough, take a step back. And it's so easy to get into the, the race of doing things and yeah. just living your life without knowing where all this is going. Uh, and with a little bit more reflection and taking a step back, yeah, I think you can design your life that is um, closer to you, right? Because everyone enjoys something differently, and um, yeah, it's 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 really something I would like to contribute to. I'm thinking a lot about this: how I can help other people live a life that is more true to themselves. Yeah, and it's 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 maybe less focused on business, but maybe this is all in in ten years or something. Yeah, I mean. You want to be happy, right? You need to know what makes you happy in the first place. I think a big part, what you also mentioned is people want to work on important stuff, right? If you work on something, you put your heart and soul into it and it's not being used, right? It's on the bottom of the page somewhere no one sees it. That leaves kind of this empty thing that 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 is not fulfilled, right? You were hoping for it to be kind of a, a grand thing because you put your heart and soul into it and then it leaves you unfulfilled. That is That is quite sad. I think everyone wants to work on the important things. The thing is, not everyone does that, but everyone does or is able to influence that, right? Mm -hmm. Because the only thing you need to do is ask yourself those questions. If you don't know the answer, seek for the answers with your colleagues or your manager or whoever is involved in there. If they cannot explain it to you, then are you doing the right thing, yes or no? It's pretty obvious in that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. But I think... Uh, I think we need to have more conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I think so that's too. Kind of, that's kind of the thing. Because when you mentioned, kind of think about your happiness, right? And, and the life you want to live, that time is finite. And I think it flies the fastest for me when I'm in a routine, where I'm not doing anything new. I'm doing the same thing day in, day out. Sure, there's little changes here and there, but then time flies. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, we're a month further. We're two months further. Okay. When I pick up something new, when I experiment, where I'm like, okay, we're going to try this thing out, see if it works. And I'm learning. That's when time all of a sudden slows down and I'm enjoying it more. I'm more in the day-to-day, -day, more in the thing that is new, more in the experience in that way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I recognize that the more I'm in a, in a routine, the more, yeah, the, the faster time passes by. And, yeah. And it's a shame because if, if you can make time, you know, pass by less quickly, yeah. you, you probably enjoy it more. You have more memories. You have more. There's a, there's a book by Matthew Dix, called uh, Storyworthy. Do you know it? No, I don't know it's, that one. It's a book about storytelling, but it's very, uh, even if you're not so much about storytelling, it's, it's a very um, fun book to read because it's a bunch of stories by someone who can tell stories very well. Nice. And uh, one of the exercises he mentioned in the book, it's pretty famous, he has a TED talk about this as well, it's called Homework for Life. Okay. And the idea is that every day, at the end of the day, you write down what was the most story-worthy moment of that day. And even okay. if it's very boring, you know, you just write it down because what he says is that a few things happen. First of all, you you get kind of a new lens or a new focus for stories. So you see more stories in your own life yeah. uh, that you're otherwise not able to see. Uh, and and second, is most, most interesting, is that he says life slows down because if I ask you what did you do lot two weeks ago on a Tuesday you might not be able to reproduce what you did absolutely not <laughs> but if you write it down there's a more li bigger likelihood that you actually remember and that's why you have all these memories that you're 
have more actively storing in your consciousness and, and you can also relive them. Uh, so I've, 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 I've been trying out this, uh, this exercise. I've, I've not done it for a long time, maybe a week. Yeah. Um, but it's also something I, I, tr I try to do, you know, these new things and like experimentation and see what I can change from my routine. Because I agree with you, if you do that, then life slows down. Exactly, right? I mean, because time is finite, everything that slows down, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, we have more time, right? Wouldn't you want to have more time to do whatever it is, mm. to live your life, to experience? Why not, right? Exactly. You don't want, I mean, as a kid, I wanted time to speed up because I wanted to be an adult. <laughs> but now that you're there, you're like, slow down, <laughs> slow down. Exactly. Everything's going so fast. That's also what I recognize with my business. So I started my business two years ago. Yeah. Uh, first next to my job at Capgemini and then more um, yeah, and then four t four days a week, three days a week and then I quit my job. Yeah. So first part-time then now full-time entrepreneur and I've been very stressed in the last years really? uh, because uh, I, I'm very, very, I can be very action-oriented, especially with myself. I'm, I can be very hard on myself, you know, I need to do more because I really wanted to make Mind Speaking my company work. Yeah. So I put a lot of effort in it and always was looking, okay, what can I do extra to 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 move forward. Exactly. Um, but to me, that gave, also gave a lot of stress, a lot of it was a lot of uncertainty. And now I'm way more relaxed. I'm, I I work less and I, I'm more in nature and doing sports, playing squash at 11 a.m. Yeah. It's so, so much fun. And by, you know, doing less and really focusing on what really matters, really looking at, trying to cut out all the, the meetings that are unnecessary or things that don't really contribute to, to, the, to business or to what I think is fun or to what I think is important in the world. Yeah, uh, there's so much more, uh, much more joy and less stress and also less uh, time slows down as well. Yeah, so I think it's it's important for for everyone, no matter what type of job you have, to look at your calendar, you know, once a week and look at hey, what I what do I actually want to achieve in this week and what contributes to that and what can I maybe kick out. So that you're not focusing so much and wasting so much time on things you don't enjoy or are not really contributing to the to your organization. Yeah, that makes sense, man. So when we spoke over the phone, this is actually the first time we're we're sitting here face to face. But when we spoke over the phone, I was like, this guy is pretty chill. He's he's very zen, and even in person, you you come across very zen. So when you said I was really stressed. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that doesn't really translate, right? Yeah. But I do think the people that are kind of high achievers or overachievers put that put that kind of pressure on themselves, right? Absolutely. And I think even worse is when you're kind of perfectionist because nothing's ever going to be perfect. So then you're striving towards something that is very hard to attain or even impossible in some cases, and then you get stressed out, right? Because that is that is not necessarily something you can control. Mm -hmm. I lost my lost my breath there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, control your breath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so you mentioned mind speaking. When when did you start this up? Was it like two years ago during the pandemic? Yeah, two years ago during yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. What are kind of the learnings you have had along the way? So this is one thing, right? Slow it down and think about the business mm -hmm. and enjoy the ride. Don't put too much pressure on yourself and, and things will happen and fall into place. You just need some time. Uh-huh. But what is something else? Yeah, some of the things... There, there's so many things things I lear I've learned. So, one of one of them in the beginning, I focused more on B two C. So, yeah. tr giving training to to data scientists and analysts who could register themselves, find my website, buy a ticket, and then join the training. Mm. Now I focus only on B two B. This makes my life much easier uh, because you know there there are bigger budgets. There, 
it, a lot of groups in this in the, at at the same time. Yeah. So that's that's one learning, but maybe it's not too relevant for for other people, especially if you're not an entrepreneur. But also, yeah, be also go in even maybe even more about on on self awareness and discovering yourself. What I might what are my strengths? You know, how can I contribute to 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 an organization? Yeah. What what am I good at and what am I not not so good at? What can I uh, so I work with a team in the Philippines. They take over all the tasks I don't really enjoy that are simple or that I do enjoy, but I'm making a bigger impact uh, with other tasks that I also enjoy. Yeah. I try to outsource as much as possible. Yeah. That's also something I, I've i learned. Uh, and to take more time to, yeah, maybe it's related to the other one, but also if I schedule a meeting, no back-to-back meetings, always breaks in between. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. things like that to... To slow down more because actually it will make me go faster. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you mentioned it might not be interesting, but when you said B two C or B two B, I think focus in whatever you're doing is is very essential. Yeah, I absolutely. watch I watch a lot of Shark Tank, uh, <laughs> where they come in, they pitch a business idea, and then they get either shit on and they get an investment, uh, and people are like, "You're all over the place, right? What are you, yeah. what is actually your business? What are you focusing on?" Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's also something I've learned. Working on my proposition and what I'm going going to sell because first my book was people skills for analytical thinkers still quite broad for all people more technical more analytical yeah but now my trainings are just for data scientists and analysts and that helped me a lot because I know exactly what those people uh, what their challenges are right yeah and that focus really really helped yeah and it also helps helps with everything because it narrows your 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 focus and you see things that you otherwise never never see. I try to not work on too many things at the same time. Yeah. Some people are very good at it. I think I'm not so good at it. If I, I've, I always have a lot of things on my mind, yeah. but in terms of big projects, I try to focus just on you know one training program yeah. for the a same program for a few companies, and then next chapter is creating an online course instead of do, trying to do it every all at the same time. Yeah. It, this made me a bit more stressed and. I can imagine. Not, not focused, not productive as well. Yeah. How, how do you learn? Because you said kind of learning about what your strengths are and probably also weaknesses. How, how do you gain that knowledge? Like, do you ask for a lot of feedback? Do you do a lot of reflection? Yeah, both. So I what what helped me is reading mm. because I constantly think, okay, what, what does it mean in my own life? Yeah. And podcast also made me discover a lot of things about myself and what I want to do and business ideas. Yeah. Uh, feedback is is really important. Listen, this listening to podcasts or also coming on? Um, both actually. Oh. Yeah, sometimes yeah, like this question. You know, sometimes people ask questions that make you stop and and think, hey, what is actually the answer to this question? Because I don't really know. Nice. Um, so that also helps, you know, to to get on podcast and now, and now I have my own podcast and I, so then when I'm on the other side and this is also a great learning experience because all of a sudden, you know, you need to make the conversation interesting you're hosting the the podcast but like you you're an expert in to me is making the podcast spontaneous right just a conversation on the bar just the beer is missing right yeah and to uh, to make it very spontaneous and in in the, in the first few, few episodes i was too focused on you know what okay what will be the storyline what are the topics i will talk about yeah uh, but the more i let go of that the more i got uh, focused on you know what um, what what should I talk about or what should the guests talk about? Yeah. The less I did that, the better the episodes went. And to me, you're a 
you're you're very strong at this. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was not like this in the beginning. The problem is everyone watches the first episode, <laughs> listens to the first episode, which is then going to be the worst one. But yeah, it How did you how did you get that? I'm I'm curious to dive a bit into in, into that because all all creators yeah. have have faced some fear, right? Have faced some like okay, I'm going to do this, but how will people respond or um how how was that for you? It was so I don't make things a huge thing and I don't look too much into the future. When I said yes, I wanted to be a podcast host, I didn't think about okay, what is this going to look like next year? I thought, hey, this seems fun, let's do it. And I saw it as kind of an experiment. Um probably I told myself it was going to be an experiment if I don't like listening to myself. It's never going to fly because no one else is going to listen to it. But then I had the conversation and first of all, which is very personal, I learned a lot. I love being part of the conversation because I used to listen a lot to podcasts, but then you can never ask questions, right? Now I'm in the driver's seat and I'm like, what about this or what about that or what are your thoughts on this thing? And people are like, good question. And I'm like, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> and then I, I get the answers, but like you, I was very much in my head. When someone was talking, I was like, what what is the next question going to be? Because when that silence falls, I have to have a next question, right? That's what a host does. But no, I I don't think that's what a host does. I think a host takes time to think themselves as well. Takes that kind of moment of breath because I think sometimes the audience also needs that to be like, "Huh. Okay." And then we continue. I think that's way more natural. That's also why I wanted it to be non-edited, authentic, right? I think a lot of the content we have is edited down, whether it's a movie, a YouTube video. YouTube videos like bam 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 bam, you you lose your audience, audience retention. And I'm like, man, I love doing a podcast and just <laughs> kind of sometimes zoning out. I'll just just skip back 30 seconds, re-listen to mm-hmm. that, and go through it again, and have those kind of aha moments because that that's what a podcast is about to me. Absolutely, yeah, I like what you said, and I think it's also a great lesson for everyone listening, even if you're not hosting a podcast, because I think many people have the tendency to fill spaces, right, to spill fill. Um, silence yeah and i think it's great to just sit with the silence even if it feels uncomfortable because it's not uncomfortable if you don't make it uncomfortable right if yeah. you make it if you don't make it awkward and i think in many in conversations it would just be re- more relaxed and and keep the silence there then yeah. there's there's nothing bad about it in, in fact it only strengthens the connection and it makes sure that people get the time to reflect yeah. and think about what's where the conversation is heading next. Exactly. If you make a point and then you're quiet, or people are thinking probably because you just made that point. If you yeah. make a point and then start doing some small talk, then the people are like <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> exactly. They 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 probably want to think about what you said because yeah. it might be impactful, but if you go on, they yeah, they also want to listen to that so you they lose it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You touched upon storytelling kind of previously and I'm getting more and more fond of it. I I was talking to uh, Toby, Toby Oluwole. I found him on LinkedIn and he does a lot of stuff on salary and self-worth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he told me when he does an interview or when he does mock interviews because he trains people also, it's all about storytelling, right? When it when someone asks you, "Tell me about yourself." You're not like, "Oh, I'm responsible. I I go well with autonomy." No, you talk about your story, right? Where do you come from and and how did you get to this point basically? What are your learnings along the way? Because through a story I think people make their own conclusions and that is so much more powerful than giving them the conclusions. I think in whatever we're doing now, whether it's a presentation or just talking to someone else, stories are very powerful and I think I always underestimated them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And related to what you just said, you, they don't want to see the conclusion. There's, there's, there's one guy, is a filmmaker. So what he said, don't give the audience four, but give mm-hmm. them two plus two. And it might be a bit abstract, but if you think about it, this, it's, that's how it works, right? Also, if you make a joke, you don't tell everything. You yeah. le- let people, you know, put the two and two together and then it's funny. Yeah. And it works the same with stories. You, don't need, you should not give everything. And I think that's why, that's the reason why many people working in data and technology struggle with storytelling because they focus too much on giving too much detail and trying to give the whole picture yeah. instead of uh, just high level story and make just include the most important pieces. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at storytelling, but I, I don't know how. So the thing you said about writing down the story of your day, I'm, I'm going to try that. Yeah. But do you, do you do a lot with storytelling as well? Yeah, I try to. I, I don't think I'm a natural storyteller. Some people told me, hey, you're a great storyteller. I don't know. I've, I've practiced quite a lot. Mm. And a few books helped. So the book by Matthew Dix. If you're working in data, definitely look, look at the Brent Dyke's book, yeah. uh, Data Storytelling. It's really, really good. So how to communicate your data or your tech insights even into a story yeah uh, so I've, I've done a lot of reading but of course uh, storytelling is about practice as well you can read a lot but you need to put it in practice yeah so what i've also done is join a public speaking club it's mm. called toastmasters oh nice yeah it's, i've heard about it yeah, yeah it's it, it's really good so it's a it's a club that comes together every week or a few times per month where every time a few people get the opportunity to present yeah about a certain topic Sometimes they're practicing the introduction, sometimes as a, as a whole or intonation, and other people give feedback. So the idea is that you usually don't have so many opportunities to practice, yeah. uh, but only when it really it's really important, right? Yeah. Or on someone's wedding or so, or a big presentation for your company. So it's a great opportunity to to practice. and And I joined some meetings, and I definitely took away a lot there how yeah. to tell a story, and. Also in my presentations that I do for companies and in my trainings, I include a lot of stories and I see that it works because people people love stories. They they did a lot of research on the on, on the brain when telling stories and they actually see that the audience's brain synchronize if you tell a story. Instead of just throwing facts, the the, the brains are all over the place if you make yeah. a scan. And also if you want to be persuasive, you need to focus more on the you know, the emotional brain, the emotional uh, part of the of the brain and the decision making is really influenced by emotions as we as we talked about yeah so when you when we talk about uh, when we talk through a story then we actually become less defensive and we become like child just listening to the story like we were as a four-year-old yeah and that's how executives become as well of course they have less time yeah but if you include little stories that yeah, it's so effective. So it's it's something I w- I'm always practicing, and it's a powerful skill, man. If yeah. you if you master it, and I mean you never master it, right? To to me, you always become better and better and better, um, and there's always room to improve. Yeah, yeah, I love that because when you said okay, I, I practice it, I never thought like when would you get feedback? But if it's kind of kind of an incubation room, and the point is to practice and get feedback, that's the best, right? Because mm-hmm. I can't think of another place when you would do a speech or kind of you would speak in public and you would get feedback. Either people would say, yeah, pretty good, and they wouldn't really give you the truth or you would actually be good. Or they'd be like, it's actually quite shit. And you would never yeah. hear which points were not as good. That's true. It's very hard to get honest feedback. And yeah. 
to what worked for me. The only thing that worked for me is to emphasize before the presentation happens, I want uh, feedback. I want to have at least two points for improvement. Okay. And, and you want, and I want you to be completely honest and direct because yeah. that helps me grow. If you sugarcoat, it doesn't help me. So please don't do it. Yeah. So that that's the only thing that helped me. And what another thing that also helped me is is use uh, voice messages more on WhatsApp. Okay. So instead of typing, yeah. uh, I sometimes use voice messages. So if someone asks, like, how was your weekend? First of all, I don't like typing because I don't want to be in my phone the whole day. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. And I think it's more fun and a, and a way to practice your communication skills and your storytelling skills as well to uh, make a little story from it. And then and you can listen back, right? It, it may be cringy in the beginning, <laughs> but uh, if you listen back to yourself, you can see, hey, how did you start and how did you end? Yeah. Did you include stories or mo mostly about facts? Did you say, hey, I had a nice weekend, I played football, then I went to the beach and I went to my parents? Yeah. It's very boring. Or do you tell a story about, you know, how the football match went or what happened and focus more on the on the tension and the, and the conflict in the story instead of just the bullet points with and in between? Yeah. Man, you sent me a voice message and I would have never thought I was part of this kind of experience <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, so it's all part of the experiment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that, actually. If you can incorporate little experiments in your kind of day-to-day -day and you can learn from that, and that, that I think would bring a lot of joy. I might do that. I, I never had a reason to do voice messages. I call a lot. Maybe that's also because of it. I don't like texting as much either. But then I noticed when you send me a voice message, I probably replied in text. I didn't, I didn't send you a voice message back. Yeah. And I don't mind. I did, yeah. I did get feedback from, from a good friend who's very action-oriented, you know? Yeah. And he says, you know, I'm at work, right? Yeah. I cannot really listen. And then I tell him, there's no rush, right? Otherwise, I would call you. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, or I, I mean, sometimes I, I, I send him a, a text yeah. instead of a voice message. But sometimes I also think, uh, never mind. It's <laughs> <laughs> this is the way I want to communicate yeah. now. So yeah, exactly. You deal with it. Yeah, you deal with it. Yeah. Man, I, I call a lot. That, that's usually my, my go-to, right? I like having a conversation that's direct, synchronous. And if it's not direct, then yeah, text is fine. But a text can be interpreted in so many ways. That is a yeah. problem. Absolutely. And, and that has been also a problem <laughs> in the past. Probably. Yeah? Yeah. Do you have a specific yeah. example? I mean, I did. So my girlfriend, when I met her, we had a month in Amsterdam. And then she moved to London to do her master's. So that was a half year in London. And yeah, we texted a lot. And a lot of stuff sometimes got misinterpreted. Oh, you're not actually mad. Oh, no. How'd you get that? Oh, yeah. I thought X, Y, and Z. Well, that that's not there. That's all in your mind. And then you have to be like, okay, that is actually all in my mind. And it doesn't actually say that. But that's the only thing we have, right? Plain text. Is a reason why we like communicating and we don't like talking to a screen and being like on a Zoom call because there's a lot of nonverbal stuff. There's a lot of intonation. I can look you in the eyes and be like, "This is really important," and you don't really have that in a in a Zoom call, right? Absolutely. A lot of stuff goes into communication, and text is like the most basic version we have. Absolutely. Yeah. And the challenge is the more uh, tension is in a, in a certain situation, or if you're in a conflict, people, some people, they tend to you know, send an email or a yeah. text instead because it's safer, it's less vulnerable. Yeah. Um, they don't want to face the, the conversation and, and what's what's happening. Yeah. But of course, it, it makes it worse, right? Things get misinterpreted. There's a lot of uh, assumptions in everything. Yeah. And uh, everything goes wrong. Yeah. So that, that's what that's what I've learned to, to always have a conversation. Now, when, when I have a problem with something 
that someone said or did or I feel the conversation or the collaboration is not going well. Yeah. Uh, for me now, it's, it's very easy to say, uh, let's talk and yeah. have a real conversation. Exactly. Of course, sometimes I feel a bit of tension because I think, okay, I'm not sure what's gonna, going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I'm very determined and it, it, it helped me a lot. I think it taught me to, to always have the conversation and, and address what's, what's on the table, even though people don't mention it. So I will, I'm yeah. always the first one to say, hey, let's, let's talk about it. I like that. Yeah, yeah I, I think that is very effective, right? I, I'm a consultant. I go from client to client. But I'm like, okay, their communication is email. I try it. If it's not effective, the second it's not effective, I'm like, let's jump in a call. Because I've sent one email, two emails. I've had enough. Because I don't want to go back and forth. And then days go past. I'm like, let's set up a date. Let's, let's discuss this. And let's be effective together. And people usually are open to that. It's just sometimes they don't take initiative. <laughs> True. Yeah. Man, I, I love how this conversation flowed, man. We kind of went, uh, went all over the place. A lot to do about psychology and why people do the things they do. Uh, and I love learning about your stuff, man. I could do this for ages, but I think I want to round it off here. Is there anything you still want to share with the audience? No, I think one message I would like to, to end with is if, even if you have a more analytical profile, if, if you work in technology and you're more interested in in tech and data that's that's totally fine uh and don't forget about you know the other side because it really will help you to make a bigger impact in, in your organization and and in your life as well i mean we're communicating the the whole day the whole year yeah with friends family everyone you meet even with when you order the a coffee at the at the bakery yeah you know you can, you can practice in those little things and become a bit more aware about your default state and how you can experiment and I mean, it's so much fun, right? You can it's you're you can experiment in the wild and see what happens. And yeah, have a little fun. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that, man. I'm gonna do a little experience. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell people about them. <laughs> cool, Gilbert Eichelbaum. I'm gonna put all the links to his socials in the description below. And with that being said, we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>